Welcome to Boston Children's Answers. I'm your host, Jennifer Arnold, and I'm passionate about helping kids stay healthy and happy. So join me as I chat with various Boston Children's experts to find answers for you and your family. Hi everyone, and welcome. Today we're talking about ADHD, and as always, let's start with our parent question. Hi, this is Christine. My son was just diagnosed with ADHD. What can I do to help him be successful in school? Great question, Christine. All parents want to help their kids to be successful. And particularly when you have a diagnosis of ADHD, it can be a challenge. Well, for those of you that don't know, ADHD is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Yes, we like alphabet soup in medicine. Today we have Dr. Ann Arnett with us. Dr. Arnett is a scientist here at Boston Children's Division of Developmental Medicine and an expert in ADHD. Dr. Arnett, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, let me just start off by saying I am very excited about this conversation because both of my kids have a diagnosis of ADHD, and I'm really excited about how you're going to help us navigate this. But before we start, I always like to ask our guests, what drew you to this field? I love that question. So I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and when I was in graduate school, I was working on a research project where I was doing neuropsychological testing with kids with ADHD and interviewing their parents and working with the families almost every weekend. And I really just fell in love with these kids. I think kids with ADHD are just the most extreme version of children with all of the strengths and challenges that comes with childhood. And I was in a child psychology program, obviously I love children, and so I just really enjoyed these kids and their families. And one of the things that I found really interesting is how different each of these children were, despite their common diagnosis. And that is, I think, what drove me towards research. I really wanted to understand some of those individual differences at the brain and behavior level. It's so reassuring to hear from you that these kids can be as amazing as any other kids. And that may be even more amazing because they embody what it's like to be a kid. The approach that you have is really positive. How do you use that positivity to guide the kids that you see with this diagnosis? We really encourage parents and kids to lean into their strengths. One of the potential misunderstandings around kids with ADHD is that They can't focus on anything and they'll never follow through with anything. But the truth is that some of the difficulties with attention regulation can actually swing the other way where they can get really extra focused or really determined and sometimes even stuck on things that they're really interested in. And so if you can leverage that and really lean into some of those interests and strengths, then I think that is a best case scenario really for all children, but particularly for kids with ADHD. I love that. Okay. Leaning in. (laughs) All right. Well, as we think about leaning into this topic, can you help our audience just to make sure we're all on the same page about what is ADHD? Right. So ADHD is a neurodevelopmental diagnosis, and it's made by a medical professional or a psychologist, and it describes kids who have difficulty with self-regulation. And specifically, we think about self-regulation of attention and activity level and impulses. So kids with ADHD have difficulty attending to things that are kind of boring or less interesting. They have difficulty keeping their body quiet when they need to and also inhibiting some of those impulses. When we got the diagnosis for our kids, there was a question mark as to which type maybe my kids had. What are the different types? There are three subtypes of ADHD. The first one is predominantly inattentive, and it's just as it sounds. It's kids who mostly have difficulty regulating their attention. And then there's predominantly 
definitely hyperactive impulsive. Those are kids who have more difficulties in the domain of activity level and and, and impulse control. And then there's the combined subtype, and that describes kids who have difficulties with inattention and hyperactivity and impulsivity. And most kids fall into that combined category and will meet criteria for more than one of those subtypes over the course of their development. These subtypes are helpful in terms of thinking about where the child's struggling in any particular moment, but they're not necessarily stable across the lifetime. Interesting. So it can be a little bit more fluid then. Right. Yep. That is really fascinating. And again, I think at some level, even back when I was much younger, I heard the term ADD. And my understanding is ADD isn't actually appropriate anymore, right? Versus ADHD. That's right. Yeah. We really like to keep you on your toes and change up the name every 10 years or so. (laughs) And so now we call it all ADHD, but then we use those subtype labels. Gotcha. So it's all about the subtypes to know where your child might fit. Exactly. Yep. That's really helpful for me, especially because I had to learn that myself. (laughs) So parents are probably wondering, how does a child get ADHD? What causes it? Could it be hereditary? It is hereditary. ADHD is often passed down through families. About 70% of the symptoms in the general population are due to genetic factors. We've also done some recent research here at Boston Children's where we found that there are some spontaneous genetic changes mm-hmm. that can cause ADHD. So in that case, it wouldn't be inherited. Like during conception, right? Something happens exactly. to, the, to the genes that leads to ADHD. Exactly, yep. And there are environmental contributions as well. So things like prenatal alcohol exposure or a traumatic brain injury could cause ADHD symptoms in a child who may not even have any of the genetic risk for it. Wow. Thinking too about environmental or extreme trauma experiences, also something that has been linked with ADHD? Yeah, kids who have early adversity are at much higher risk for ADHD. We don't know exactly whether it's causal or Hmm. potentially also due to some genetic risk factors. And kids with a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder exhibit a lot of the symptoms that we see in ADHD, but we do think of ADHD and post-traumatic stress disorder as two separate disorders. The recommendations we would make in terms of what are the best interventions and supports for this child may differ a little bit depending on the, the origin of these symptoms. So both of my kids were diagnosed probably around seven or eight, early school age. When are kids typically diagnosed? That's a pretty common age. We typically diagnose kids in elementary school. Okay. Often symptoms of ADHD are evident a little bit earlier, but some of the symptoms of ADHD like inattention and hyperactivity, they're developmentally appropriate for a young child, like a toddler or even a preschooler. And so it's usually not until elementary school age that we can see where some kids are having more trouble than their peers with things like sitting still in the classroom, keeping their hands to themselves, you know, waiting in line when they're transitioning from one classroom to the next and things like that. And so that's when we're most confident in the diagnosis. You just made a light bulb go off for me because I remember as we were seeing a developmental pediatrician, they said that a lot of their symptomatology was appropriate based on their developmental age. And so we were trying to tease out, is it really a diagnosis versus more related to normal developmental progression? So I think that's a really important point for parents who are wondering if their child might have ADHD. There are some cases where we might diagnose ADHD earlier in situations where the child is struggling with safety in particular. Mm. So there are some kids whose impulsivity is so extreme that they are likely to run through parking lots or 
take off in a public space and get lost, or I, I even knew of a child who was leaving in the middle of the night to walk his cat down the street. They had to put alarms on the windows and all these things. And when it gets that extreme or when they're physically aggressive towards peers and getting expelled from preschools and things like that, when it gets to that point, then we might consider giving a diagnosis earlier just so we can get the family started with some of the supports and interventions that they, they may need. Yeah, because therapies in that situation are potentially life-saving. That yeah, makes sense. absolutely. Wow, it's very important. Okay, so so much complexity here. We've talked a little bit, I think, about some of the signs and symptoms of ADHD, but can you help us understand what are the exact symptoms and what should parents be looking for? Sure. So like I said, ADHD is really a disorder of self-regulation, and we need to regulate ourselves over a whole bunch of situations throughout the day. But attention is definitely one of them. Kids with ADHD tend to have more difficulty focusing on things that are kind of boring, like homework. They're more easily distractible. They need a lot of reminders to get through multi-step activities and chores. And then they also have difficulty shifting their attention away from things like video games, for example. Hyperactivity usually describes difficulty sitting through a meal, for example, or keeping their hands to themselves. There's a lot of fidgeting that happens maybe climbing on things when they're not supposed to. And then impulsivity has to do with the child's ability to inhibit some of those desires, like grabbing things out of people's hands or interrupting or saying things without thinking about it first. Again, if you think about all three of those symptoms, that can be challenging for parents and teachers when you're trying to support a child who's displaying those symptoms in that moment. I'm thinking about my own kids. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I think one other really important point is that all kids, all adults even have some of these symptoms some of the time, right? (laughs) So it gets to the point of requiring or, or warranting a diagnosis when the child's also having impairment associated with those symptoms. So not only are they happening frequently and at kind of at a severe level, but they're causing difficulties with school and with friends and with their self esteem. So I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And I remember when we were going through evaluating our kids, we had surveys or questionnaires that were given to teachers and we did it at home so that we could assess, are the symptoms there? And are they having an impact or a negative impact on the child's ability to do the things that they needed to do to function? Right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So thinking about ADHD, it feels like to me, it's a, it's a very common diagnosis these days. How common is it? Is it becoming more common? So right now it affects about 5 to 7% of school-age kids, which is a lot. It is yeah. very common, and it does seem like the prevalence is increasing. Interestingly, the severity of symptoms does not seem to be increasing. So there's some really interesting research showing that over the past few decades, the rates of diagnoses have increased, but the severity in the population has not. And essentially what that means is that kids with more mild symptoms are experiencing impairment or difficulties associated with those milder symptoms, whereas maybe 20 years ago, that same level of symptom severity wasn't really causing problems for them. So just to kind of follow up on that, do you think that the increased awareness is contributing or why is it that we're seeing increase today versus before? I think parents, educators, people in general are more aware of the ADHD diagnosis. And so kids are getting referred more often for this evaluation to qualify for these supports that they need, like in school, like our parent asked. And that's a good thing. I think another reason is that more mild cases that maybe 20 years ago, the child would have been fine. Nowadays, we're 
expecting a lot out of kids, including more sitting down during the school day, a lot more structure and sports and activities after school. There's a lot more supervision, I think, from adults. And so they're more likely to pick up on things that maybe a child is having difficulty with. There are a whole bunch of reasons. Some of it is speculative, but certainly the environment is changing. Yeah. No, I I think that's a really interesting point because I think you're probably right. I watched my kids probably much more than my parents watched me growing up. And so you notice things. And then, like you said, the pressures or or the expectations of kids are are so different today. If a parent is interested in finding out if their child may have ADHD, what does the diagnosis look like or how does that happen? So the first step is definitely contacting your child's primary care provider or pediatrician. Oftentimes a pediatrician can make this diagnosis if they're able to get information from the parents and from the teachers. And if there's clear evidence that the child is struggling, then they can make this diagnosis. Hmm. Sometimes it's a little bit more complicated. If the child's struggling academically, then it might be helpful to refer the child for more testing to just make sure that the attention problems or hyperactivity isn't due to a learning disorder. Or they could be that they have ADHD and a learning disorder, and we just want to make sure that we catch that so that we're giving them all the supports that they need. It's interesting that we can still get the diagnosis potentially with our primary care doctor, but if there's more going on, we should definitely not be afraid to seek more expert care. Mm-hmm like from a developmental medicine team, like your team? So our team includes psychologists, neuropsychologists, developmental behavioral pediatricians. All of those specialists can do the kind of evaluation needed to clarify or differentiate among some of the potential other diagnoses. So when a child is referred for additional testing, we do a lot of testing of cognition just to get a sense of where the child's intellectual functioning is. We'll do some academic testing. We do some testing of executive functioning. But there's no single test to determine whether the child has ADHD. So we put all this information together to make the diagnosis and any other diagnoses that are warranted. I think that's really interesting that you bring this up. There is no one test for a child that may be struggling or has signs or symptoms. We went through some of that process, right? So you have different things that you do with the different specialists that you see within the team, and they put that all together to figure out, okay, your child is mild here but has some other signs of this or that. And so you get a, a better profile, really, of what your child's neurocognitive Strengths and challenges, Strengths right? and challenges, right. thank you. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to think of what do I yeah. describe it as, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a more comprehensive look at what's going on for your child, which is really incredible. It is, and that's the thing that I was referring to early on about why I got interested in research on these kids because there are so many individual differences in that profile of strengths and challenges. But the bottom line is that this information can be really helpful and interesting, but it's not always necessary to make that ADHD diagnosis. And sometimes, unfortunately, families get stuck on waiting lists to get a neuropsychological Mm -hmm. evaluation. And in the meantime, the child's not getting the supports that they could qualify for just for their ADHD diagnosis. And so it's a tricky balance, making sure that we're getting children the help that they need expediently, but also getting as much information as we can to support them appropriately. Yeah. Again, I think you hit on a really important point because I think that happened for us. We got the initial pieces of diagnosis from our pediatrician and we're starting to figure out what therapies do we want to do. But meanwhile, we were waiting to get the full comprehensive neuropsych testing, right? Which was important for us to understand our kids more comprehensively. But I think, like you said, not delaying when your pediatrician makes a diagnosis, potential therapies is important to support our kids. So let's talk a little bit about therapies and treatment. So for children that are diagnosed with ADHD, what are the options out there? There are three evidence-based treatments for ADHD. One is 
behavioral therapy, one is medication, and then the third is the combination of the two. So behavioral therapy varies a little bit depending on the age, but it's often delivered via parent training. We give parents some extra tools in the toolbox to support their child at home and to support the the child's academic environment, give their teachers additional information that will be helpful for them. The first line of medications for kids with ADHD are stimulant, and there are also non-stimulants that are available. Most of the research has shown that the combination of both behavioral behavioral and medication therapies is the most effective. Parents, whenever there's a a diagnosis and their child's struggling, we want to do everything that we can to help them and help them succeed, just like our parent who called in with their question. In terms of the three different types of treatment, what factors are the clinical team and parents considering to make a decision about medication versus therapy versus both? Yeah, that's a good question. So with younger children, particularly in families where the parents haven't had the opportunity to do some of that behavioral parent training or to read some of the books, we usually start with behavioral interventions. Let's give the parents a chance to learn some skills and support their child. And then we might recommend medications afterwards. When there are safety concerns, like I described earlier, and it feels like the more immediate need than even a younger child, we might recommend medications. I should say that I am not an MD, so I don't prescribe medications. I work in a multidisciplinary team, and this is generally how it goes. But with older kids, oftentimes we'll just go ahead and try to treat both. I think in general, when kids are struggling with academics, social interactions, and self-esteem, that's when I feel like we need to step in and support this kid, because those are the three biggest parts of a child's life. And we want to give them as much help as they can. Absolutely. Well, I think you should not undersell what you do for kids because yes, we see our physician for the medication therapy, but we also saw colleagues of yours and got a lot of therapeutic techniques to Mm -hmm. help us with behavioral management. And we went through an amazing boot camp, by the way, that I just, I have to give a shout out to because I thought it was really helpful for parents to learn some of these strategies for home, which are things that may not be intuitive, at least maybe not intuitive from the way we grew up as kids. She boot camp is great. That's a three session intervention. It's a group setting where parents are all kind of on a Zoom or in a room together. And I think there are some intangible benefits to those group sessions because you can learn from other parents and also lean on each other and realize that you're not alone in this. And so that's a version of the parent training that I talked about that's pretty brief. And then there are some more extended programs that may be as long as 10 sessions where you learn some of those skills in more depth. So a lot of options for families, Mm -hmm. which is key. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful that we have a diagnosis. We're able to to get support and therapy. For a child who maybe is not diagnosed and or treated, what are some of the potential risks or consequences? Risk that I see in the young years is low self-esteem and feeling badly about themselves as a student or socially. As kids get older, teenagers are at higher risk for engaging in risky behaviors like substance use, drugs and alcohol. Teenagers who have ADHD and are not treated for it are at much greater risk of accidents and doing things like getting distracted while driving. So there are some big risks in the long term. Adults with untreated ADHD have unfortunately poor outcomes. They have difficulties holding down employment, relationships. It's really important to get therapy and get treated. Yeah. Well, one other thing that I also wanted to talk about, sometimes when you have a diagnosis of ADHD, it's lumped in with other diagnoses, like a learning disability. So is ADHD a learning disability? ADHD is not a learning disability, but it can cause learning problems and difficulties Mm -hmm. with academics. 
And that's because maybe you're having trouble with that attention and that focus. Is that why that may lead to learning challenges? That's right. Learning depends on being able to attend to the teacher talking and lectures and attend to details on your homework. And so it certainly impacts kids' ability to learn. I'm going to make an analogy. I hope that's okay. So it almost sounds like to me, tell me if this is a good analogy. They have the capability to Mm -hmm. learn, but maybe the cloud in the way. Mm -hmm. And we just got to move that cloud out of the way so that the sun can shine. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) That's a really good analogy. I like it. I like it. Thanks. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. And then the other thing is that kids with ADHD are much more likely to also have a learning disability. So about 40% of kids with ADHD also have dyslexia or reading disorder. So it's actually quite common for the two to co exist. Yeah, so that's a really good point. So comorbidities with ADHD, Mm -hmm. anything else that parents should be aware of? Yes, we generally say that comorbidity is a rule rather than the exception. Kids with ADHD are at higher risk for externalizing behavior, so things like oppositional defiance, conduct problems, and internalizing disorders like anxiety and depression. And like I mentioned, substance use and risky behaviors that happen later in life are more common in people with ADHD. So... Okay. There are a whole host of potential comorbidities. So good to be on the lookout if you're a parent. Mm-hmm. Great. So Dr. Arnett, at the beginning of the podcast, we heard from Christine wanting to learn how to support her child at home. What are some things that parents should or should not do? Some of the things that we teach can be implemented at home. Things like speaking more concisely, using fewer words and giving directions only one step at a time. So rather than saying, I need you to clean your room because your Aunt Rita is coming over and you know how she hates a mess in the floor and blah, 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 you know, just saying. Something I would do. (laughs) Right, that's actually my biggest struggle, is just saying your room needs to be clean before 3.30, giving it really clear directions. And likewise, in the morning, you know, one of the biggest struggles is getting the backpack packed and make sure we have everything we need and getting out the door. And so it can be helpful to do things like have a visual checklist where everybody can access it and then the child can refer back to it. And that helps build good habits in terms of organization. Checklists are good for all of us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What can be harder for parents are some of the things that we encourage you not to do. One of those is punishment. Kids with ADHD really don't respond well to punishment. They don't learn well from it, and they can often feel really sensitive to punishment. So we generally recommend that you focus on rewarding positive behaviors rather than punishing the negative ones. Giving the child a chance to practice those positive behaviors can be really helpful too. We're trying to build good habits, as I said. And so if the child makes a mistake, you can say, let's try that again, rather than saying, go to your room and think about what you've done. You know, That's interesting. I think that's probably not a way that many of us innately, instinctively parent, Mm -hmm. which is not a good thing. So I think that whether or not you have a child with ADHD, I feel like these are probably good parenting strategies. Yeah, absolutely. They can be. But I think parenting a child with ADHD requires some super parenting. It's definitely more than your average parenting. And so there's a reason that we have books and therapies. It's hard. Yeah, Yeah, it is hard. Yeah. Well, how about other things that might help? Kids with ADHD are definitely more sensitive to lack of exercise or sleep or poor diets. There aren't necessarily things to avoid when it comes to diet, but certainly we encourage all kids to have a healthy, balanced diet, right? Exercise can be particularly beneficial for kids with ADHD. There's some really good research on that showing that kids with ADHD benefit even more from exercise than do others. And that's usually 
a 20 minute bout of exercise. It isn't just doing five quick jumping jacks, you know, <laughs> this is actually getting our heart rate up for a little bit. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. So getting involved in activities and whether it's play or sports, maybe that's, those are really positives for a child who has ADHD. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've all experienced that after you exercise for a little while, you might be better able to sit down at your desk and do your work. And so kids with ADHD benefit in that way as well. Yeah. All right. So now thinking about that, let's talk about school. Think about Christine's question for her child. What are some of the things that our schools or teachers could do to help kids who have ADHD? There are a lot of common accommodations that we recommend, like sitting closer to the teacher, being given a little bit of extra support in terms of how they organize their homework and their binders, and certainly being allowed to exercise. We really recommend that recess not be taken away from kids with ADHD as a punishment. And when kids are younger, one of the big interventions that we recommend in the school setting is called a daily report card. And Mm. this is kind of what it sounds like. It's like a a report card that we use on a daily basis. And we recommend that you pick two or three really concrete behaviors like raising your hand before speaking or keeping hands to yourself during circle time. And the teacher is responsible for monitoring those behaviors and then rewarding the child when they meet their goals by checking it off on the daily report card. Then they send that home and then parents have the opportunity to reward the child at home as well and keep that consistent across settings. So again, it's that positive reinforcement. Yeah. The focus there is much more, I think, on the social interactions and just learning how to learn, learning how to be in school. As kids get a little bit older, they get into middle school and high school, we're asking them to be more independent and organized, right? And so at that point, it can be helpful to provide additional executive functioning coaching from the teacher or the counselor or to do things like give the child an outline of the lecture you're going to give that day so that they can follow along and see how notes should be taken. At home, you can help your child organize their planner and come up with a system that's pretty straightforward so that they know where to write their homework down. So structure, routine, sounds like there's some of those themes from an executive functioning perspective to support the older child. Right, creating good habits. Yeah, that's really great. So, again, further related to school, are there things that parents should be talking about with their school to help support their kids? Yeah, so children with ADHD will often qualify for a formal support plan, and there are a couple of different options. One is a Section 504 plan, and that allows for some of the accommodations like the daily report card or sitting close to the teacher or even having extra time on standardized tests. There's also something called an IEP, which stands for Individualized Education Plan, and that is typically given to kids who are struggling academically as well as behaviorally, and those kids may get some extra one-on-one tutoring or get pulled out for additional support, specifically for an academic subject like reading or math. Do the recommendations come from the teachers or the school, or does it come from your care team? What fills those documents? Yeah, that's a good question. It comes from both. So if your child has seen their pediatrician or a specialist, they may have a report with specific recommendations about what could be helpful at school. The schools often have written these reports for kids with ADHD before, and they may know which kinds of accommodations work particularly well in their school. And then there are books out there that can be helpful to guide you. But 
typically I think parents know their child best. And if you have a good relationship with the teacher in particular, you can work through what would be the most helpful for my child this year in this setting. Got it. So very, very individualized Mm -hmm. and comprehensive, really. Okay, so that's really interesting because I think a lot of parents, you hear the words IEP, 504, plan, right? And so it sounds like, you know, the 504 is more for accommodations and sort of some of that behavioral management support. And then if I'm understanding correctly, the IEP is truly that sort of academic extra help needed from a learning perspective. Is that a good way to think about it? That's typically how it works, yes. There is some variability across districts and schools, and I think that's where (laughs) some of the confusion comes in, but that's generally a good distinction. So for parents who are looking for support at school, they could have one or the other, maybe both? Maybe both. They'll have one or the other. When ADHD is the primary challenge, it's uncommon to have both. So, Dr. Arnett, you are a researcher, and so I'm curious to learn, what is the future of research in ADHD? Oh, that's a great question. So, in our lab, we're studying brain development and brain activity related to ADHD. This goes back to that observation I made in graduate school that all kids with ADHD are different, and they have different developmental trajectories and challenges and strengths along the way. One of the major goals in our lab is to better understand what are the differences at the brain level that might help us understand how we can best support a child with ADHD through interventions and predicting what's going to happen in the future. We're also studying whether we can identify brain biomarkers, meaning a signature in the brain that we can measure objectively in very young children to predict which of those kids will go on to struggle with ADHD versus those who won't, again, with the hope of intervening earlier, giving families the supports they need so that we don't expect that we will cure ADHD, but I do want to get ahead of some of those secondary challenges like low self-esteem. I think kids with ADHD have so much to offer this world and if we can support them in the right way, they can do so without the the struggles that sometimes go along with that. I think earlier diagnosis would be so invaluable Mm -hmm. for families too, so that they could learn some of those positive parenting strategies too. Right, absolutely. um, To better support their kids. So Dr. Arnett, I know you probably won't bring this up yourself, but I understand you have an amazing YouTube video series that discusses ADHD. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. So my colleague, Dr. Jenny Peich and I, have answers through research ADHD. It's on the Boston Children's YouTube channel. And we discuss a lot of the things that we've talked about today in more depth. And we try to pull from the existing research and go into greater detail on on how that research can inform some of the best practices and everyday support so we can give to our kids and families. That's Awesome. And I'm going to start tuning in now. What have some of the episodes been about on your video series? Each episode is on a specific topic related to ADHD, like comorbidity and school supports. We had a guest speaker to talk about medications for ADHD on one episode. Really important in depth to learn more for parents who may be struggling or have a child with ADHD. You know, the other thing that I was thinking would be really valuable, not only this podcast, but your series are for other family members to listen to, because, you know, I think about more and more, you know, my kids, they spend a lot of time with grandparents and aunts and uncles who need to also understand the behavioral approaches that help support kids yeah. with ADHD. Could be a good thing for us to share. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Arnett, this has been a really helpful and insightful podcast thus far. And I think we've talked about a lot of things, but at the end of every podcast, I like to make sure there's nothing that we missed. So is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to share with our audience today? 
One thing that comes up a lot with families and parents who are curious if their child has ADHD is this idea of what counts as inattention. Parents will often tell me, well, I don't think my child is inattentive because when they play video games, they can play for hours, you know. But as I said before, ADHD is really about self-regulation. It's not just about inattention. It's also about regulating and directing that attention appropriately. So if you imagine a child playing video games, a kid with ADHD may not even hear the smoke alarm go off. And so at that point, it becomes problematic. And so that idea of over-focusing can also be an indication that, that the child potentially has ADHD or is struggling with attention regulation. So something definitely to be on the lookout for. Are there things that parents can do to help mitigate that if they're seeing that in their child? I think it can be helpful, again, to build a lot of structure around things like video games and reinforcing video games as a reward for other good behaviors mm. rather than saying like, okay, first video games and then you do your chores. Let's do it the other way around. You need to get your chores done and then you'll earn your video games. Just thinking about those strategies to help prevent that hyper focus. Right. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. All right, so now on to doctor's orders. Dr. Arnett, this is the part of the show where we prescribe an action to our listeners that they can take home and apply to help them raise healthy kids. So can you share with us what the doctor's orders are today? Sure. This prescription is super simple. Remember that all kids are really trying to do their best, and your child with ADHD is no exception. So just remember they have so much to offer. Lean into their strengths. Enjoy them. Enjoy their enthusiasm and energy and excitement over things. And hang in there. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Boston Children's Answers. And thank you so much to our guest expert, Dr. Ann Arnett, and our guest parent, Christine. I hope you'll continue to tune in and listen to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more information, visit our website at bostonchildrens.org. Thanks again for joining. Hope you'll tune in to the next episode. See you then.